to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcasts. And welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan Hughes in the tradition of throwing a curveball. When you expect a fastball, you know, there was a bunch of drama around the NBA today. We'll talk about um, the Minnesota Timberwolves um, firing Gerson Rosas in a second. We won't talk about the David Griffin profile that came out, but I know you would probably like to, but in the interest of time, there's not really that much meat on that bone. Um, but Nikola Jokic today was apparently loves his horses more than basketball. This isn't news per se, but what's something Dylan Hughes that you love as much as Nikola Jokic loves horses? This is a great question. And I think I'm coming into my own with this lately. I think it's trees, man. I think it's trees. Like I'm reading a book about trees right now. And I need an outlet to talk about trees because my parents are just sick of hearing me talk about them. But listen, trees are without trees, we're screwed. And I actually, I think I talked about trees on the last episode where I told you that without trees, we would not have rain, which is great timing because it's been pouring rain all day. Shout out to fall, by the way, overrated, horribly overrated as a season. Um, But yeah, man, trees, I'm just into it. Like I look at trees way differently than I used to. I mean, they, they are in of themselves an ecosystem, but they also participate in the larger ecosystem that by the way, is basically the only thing holding this planet up from climate change, melting us down at this point without trees, it's too much. So shout out to trees completely overlooked in society. They need more praise. Well, I'm sure I'm sure Mr. and Mrs. Hughes are just glad that you're not getting into the other kind of trees. So I think that, you know, listen, it is a two episode streak of you talking about trees. It's incredible. Um, The only aspect I'll disagree with you about is that fall is just awesome because of the weather. Everything else. Yeah. You know, pumpkins, whatever. I don't care about that. But give me good, a good weather to wear a sweatshirt and shorts outside. And I'm very happy. Okay. It's, I, I think fall, let's just say this. I think that fall has the highest ceiling, but also the lowest floor because the fall days are beautiful. The very, like if it's like 55 and, and not, you know, not a cloud in the sky, beautiful, man. And now that I'm into golf, I'm going to be golfing on a lot of those days this year. I will say that. But today, the first day of fall, we don't even get a, a chance to enjoy the new season. It's cold, rainy, and windy. And I was out today doing some shopping. And, you know, I'm happy to wear a sweatshirt. And I'm happy to wear some nice pants. But, God, it's just miserable. And there are no days that are worse than fall days when it's like this. Like spring, it rains a lot, but at least it's warm. And winter, obviously winter can be very bad, but you, you know, winter is going to suck. That's the thing. Like we come into fall. It's like, oh, it's beautiful. We're going to take pictures by the trees and drink pumpkin spice lattes. It's going to be great. 
and then you get hit by a rainstorm. Like in the winter, yes, it's going to snow. It's going to be cold. But you expect that. You expect it to be hot in summer. So it's hard to complain about it. But fall, we have such high expectations. And it just lets me, at least it lets me down every season. You know, I can't really disagree with what you're saying. I just personally, I hate summer. Summer is my least favorite time of the year. I get so, I I run naturally hot. So I just, I get miserable during the summer. And I love, let trust me, I love nothing more than a good pair of basketball shorts, but I hate sweating. I hate sweating so much. And the only good thing about today was I was wearing my, was wearing my white socks cap, go white socks. I was wearing my hoodie outside and I, you know, the rain didn't bother me that much today. And I got to tell you, Dylan Hughes, that is what the, that is the meaning of the season. I'll give you that. I mean, I, I wasn't too bothered today being out in it, but I also will say it wasn't that windy. It can get much windier than this, which makes it a very, very miserable. But I mean, I hate summer as well because I'm also a sweater. And listen, I don't need to be changing my shorts twice a day. I just don't. So that I can get on board with that. You know, I'm, gl- I'm glad we can end on something we agree on. Um, let's move on. We got to talk about this Gerson Rosas news. So this broke at about 3.30. I want to say like 3, 3.30 Eastern. Um, Dylan and I are both in the Indianapolis area, so we are on Eastern time. But yeah, it broke around like 3, 3, 3.30 Eastern. And that was some shocking news. He was dismissed after two years. Um, and then there was some reporting from Jake Fisher that apparently the new owners, Mark Laurie and uh, this guy you might have heard of named Alex Rodriguez, they like Elton Brand in Philadelphia. So um, Dylan, I think we all thought, you know, with Glenn Taylor leaving the Wolves, that things might get better. Um, I don't think they're going to get better anytime soon. You know, this was supposed to be the season that we were like really excited about the Timberwolves. I mean, they, they're building a, a young team. Like there's no Jeff Teague on this team. There's no, I guess there is Ricky Rubio. I can't believe I almost said that. Of course there's, or no, they, no, they traded him again. Yeah. There's no Ricky Rubio. I can't even keep up with whether Ricky Rubio is on the team or not at this point. But listen, man, you get, you get cat, you save cat. Okay. Cat was definitely going to leave, but you get Anthony Edwards and it's like, Oh my God, I can't leave this guy. This guy's the next Harden. So you got cat, you got Anthony Edwards, you've got Russell, and, you know, they've got some other young guys that are that are good and maybe going to be great. We'll have to see. And then you fire the guy that put the team together after two years. I mean, what what manager like what company if you're an investor in the stock market and you're like, oh, let's uh, let's look at this company and this company fires their CEO after two years you're like, so either this guy was just doing something completely wrong or this company has no vision. And yes, there's an ownership change. So I understand, but usually ownership don't make moves this quick. Usually they'll kind of sit for a year and be like, Hey, like, let's see what these guys do. They've got a new coach. They've got a fairly new uh, guy leading the show. Like let's, let's kind of sit back for a year and just watch you know, it's going to be a young team. Fans are excited. They'll maybe make a playoff push. Let's just watch. And to go for potentially Elton Brand, who I don't really have anything against, but I wouldn't say he's had a great tenure in Philly. 
I mean, he's made some good trades, but the Tobias Harris contract was horrendous. And everyone knew that right off the bat. This is not some hindsight as 2020. Like it was a terrible deal right off the bat and not giving Jimmy what he wanted. And I don't, I feel like a lot of fans just kind of assume that Jimmy didn't make that decision. I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's ever been really revealed whether maybe he just really want to go to Miami. I don't know, but maybe, I don't know if they didn't, if they completely threw enough at him. I mean, choosing Tobias Harris over Jimmy Butler in literally every universe possible is not a good decision. (laughs) So I don't think that Elton Brand has really proven himself to the point where he's coveted over Gerson Rosas, who's barely had any time to do anything. And in the time that he's had, I think he's done fine. Yeah. I mean, we, you and I both raised, listen, the Russell trade is not looking great, right? Like it's not an A plus on his record, but he's not an F either. I would give that trade in hindsight, like a C plus, right? Like it wasn't, the worst trade we've ever seen, but it also wasn't a great trade, but I mean, he still, he got Jaden McDaniels, right? He, I'd say he won the Covington other than the, the Hawks getting Capella. They won the Covington, you know, trade where all those pieces went all over the place because they ended up with Malik Beasley and that pick that they used to get McDaniels. Like, Rosas has done a really good job. I don't even remember who the last GM. Oh, it was Thibodeau. Thibodeau was the last GM there. So, Compared to what Thibodeau left in the cupboard, right? And you brought up Jimmy Butler. They had nothing. The cupboard was so bare. They had Jarrett Culver and Cat, and that was it. And obviously, Jarrett Culver didn't work out, but that's not Rosas's fault. Like, I just don't understand this move. And it shows why the Timberwolves have been the NBA's worst franchise Ever. I mean, they've been worse than the Bobcats. They've been worse. I mean, what franchise has been consistently worse than they have? Like the Knicks, I'd rather have the Knicks last 20 years over the Wolves last 20 years, if that's any indication. And the Wolves had Kevin fucking Garnett, <laughs> right? Like, you got to put in perspective how bad things have been when they had one of, like, I'd say unquestionably one of the 30 best players of all time on their team for 13 years and they went to the conference finals once right and then it just gets worse you have kevin love and you don't win shit right then you trade kevin love for wiggins and for anthony bennett and you draft carl anthony towns and you don't do shit and then now you're gonna waste anthony edwards i would be absolutely not shocked at all if carl anthony towns requests a trade in the next calendar year absolutely not at all like just it seemed like things were going so well there. And now I'm not questioning what's going to happen on the floor, right? I still think that there's a chance that they fight for a play-in spot this year. But for the future, this is very weird. Yeah, again, it's just, it, it kind of signals a lack of direction. It's like this, and Rosas, by the way, is the guy that brings in their coach who made, who really turned the team around as we've talked about throughout the past, whatever it's been six months that they ended the season. Great. Like that helped Edwards a lot. It helped cat a lot. And there's been no reason to think that this team is not on the way up. And what else can you want out of a GM? Like this team is not going to make the playoff. It wasn't going to make the playoffs this past year. 
And it could make the playoffs this upcoming year, but we wouldn't be shocked at all if that didn't happen. So what do you need to see? This team is clearly on the way up. You have two pretty strong foundational pieces and you've got some decent guys around them. And, you know, you got a good amount of flexibility as well to continue to build. So I don't know what exactly the problem was. And a guy we're going to talk about soon is Ben Simmons. I'm wondering if maybe that was an issue, like them not going for him. Sometimes it's something like that where, you know, Paul George used to talk about how, the Pacers didn't trade for Anthony Davis when they had the chance, which who knows, that's kind of a one-sided story, but it's, that's something that happens within teams where you have an opportunity to trade for someone. And it's like, how could you not make that trade? You're fired. You know, like I wouldn't be shocked if it was something like that. I don't know. That's just speculation, but that that's the only thing that makes sense to me because Again, they it seems like everything they've done in the past, you know, a couple of years for the most part has signaled them moving upwards. And again, what else do you want out of a GM? You want a GM that puts your future in a good spot. And for a team like that, that's all they can ask for. And that's all he's done. I mean, just look at the talent. Look at the team compared to before the Covington trade compared to where it is now. Right. After the Covington trade, you get Malik Beasley, who stayed with the team. You turned Juancho Hernan Gomez into Patrick Beverly, which, you know, if you're trying to win now, I guess helps you. I the Juancho Wolves thing was kind of weird, I'll say. But that's still like basically it sounded like Juancho wanted to leave the Wolves because they didn't let him play for Team Spain. And they they granted their request. So obviously things worked out the way they wanted it to. But and then Jared Vanderbilt's very good. Um, they obviously they drafted Jaden McDaniels. Like they are just in like even without Edwards and Cat, they have so much more talent than they did like in February of 2020. That's just ridiculous that you don't look at that and say, huh, maybe Rosas had something to do with this. Maybe Rosas helped us build a better team. But no, you just decide because you're the fucking Timberwolves, you just decided, hey, we're just gonna fire a guy who could pass who seems to have us heading in the right direction. Yeah, and there's a guy I follow on Twitter named Jake Painting, um, who I, I love like the smart Twitter follows of teams because there's a bunch of idiotic fans on Twitter, obviously, but if you can find one that's really like grounded kind of in reality with what's going on, meaning they're not too negative or too positive, it's really nice. And he's mentioning a good point, which I didn't even think about is what does this mean for Finch now? You know, like, again, a lot of guys, Elton Brand or whoever could come in like, yeah, I kind of like a new coach. I don't really know this guy. And he's, and he's saying like, this is what fans have hope in is Finch. Right. And these young guys. And that's something to watch for too, is if Finch ends up getting canned, then there's literally no direction. Yeah. I mean, we saw last year, Carl Anthony Towns. I didn't think it was possible for him to reach another level offensively. But when Finch was there, oh my God, he was such a weapon. He was such a weapon. And and Edwards was unlocked. And it just was so confounding. Like, if they fire Finch, throw the whole thing in the ocean, move him to Seattle, sell, sell a team to new owners. I know they just sold... But 
God, keep him in in Minnesota. But you just got to blow the whole thing up. Like, it's just, it's unacceptable. I don't know what's going on in Minnesota. It's so damn confusing. Yeah, and also the timing is odd. Anytime an executive gets fired, like, not right before the season starts, but like a month out, I mean, that's, that's, so you gave the guy a chance to draft. You gave him a chance to sign free agents and then you fire him, you know? And I know the the ownership deal is, was being worked on. And I still don't think that they're actually going to take over for a couple of years, but um, at least hundred percent take over. But yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where there's just way too many questions that aren't being answered and maybe time will do that. But it's not looking good. Not looking good. It hasn't looked good in Minnesota since 2004 when they made the conference finals. But um, in the interest of time, let's move on to our top 50 through 26 players. So, Dylan, this is going to be a fun part of the episode because there might be more room for disagreements like we had last week on the Pascal Siakam episode. We're going to talk about Pascal Siakam again, I'm sure, because I have him in my top 50. But, Dylan... Let's just go ahead and start. Who is your 50 through 46 ranked players? So at 50, I have LaMelo. I mean, not a shock again. I think him and Edwards are going to shine very brightly among last year's, as they should, considering their top three picks. But we talked about him a lot on this pod. I mean, just his probably his worst part of his game is his defense, but he's so long that I think it's not even going to matter. His shooting is going to get way better. His shot selection, like his length. I mean, there everything about him points to him being unbelievable at almost everything. And I have a feeling that by this time next year, he'll be a lot higher on this list. Um, next is Julius Randle. Again, I love to bash the guy, but he had a great season. He's definitely improved his game. Um, I still don't think he should be an offensive hub, but he's got a lot better at passing, got a lot, a lot better at shooting. He's gotten worse on defense over the years, but, you know, we are at a point where we don't care about defense as much. So, you know, it is what it is. Speak for yourself, Dylan Hughes. I mean, among bigs, it's more important. We usually say that for guards, but I guess when you have Mitchell Robinson next to you, it's a little bit easier to just screw off. So... Whatever. Uh, next is Ben Simmons. Again, this is a guy that his value has just tanked. I mean, this is a guy that we loved, and we still love him on defense. But, God, the, the offense, it's just after that playoffs, we don't know what is going on. I mean, his confidence is shot, but his confidence is also not shot at all. He thinks he's the greatest on earth, but he doesn't take shots. It's just the most confusing basketball player I think I've ever seen where his confidence like off the court is so sky high but on the court he's like minimized to just a guy that can dribble it's just really odd but his defense is so good that he's a top 50 player and that's really all there is to say next Malcolm Brogdon and this seems relevant considering a bunch of people want the Pacers to trade for Simmons and by the way some of those trade packages are unbelievably bad for the Pacers. I mean, I've seen people say you got to give up Sabonis and Brogdon, give up Warren and Brogdon, give up Brogdon, Batad's day, and like two picks. I'm just very I, – I think if 
any deal where Brockton goes to the Sixers with anything else attached to attached to him for Ben Simmons, the Sixers are like, holy shit, we're in the we're in the Eastern Conference Finals, and the Pacers, I don't think get much better. So, I I just think the ball handling, the the shooting, the defense obviously isn't the same as Simmons, but his offensive versatility, I think, puts him over Simmons. And then Michael Porter Jr., a guy we talked about last week. Um, I'm higher on him. I just think his he's just the perfect – he's like a glove to Jokic's hand. I mean, he is perfect fit. And, yes, as we talked about, without Jokic, he's not even close to the same player. But we don't have to live in that world. We live in the world where he is with Jokic, and he is the perfect – him and Murray. Uh, I think they're both – I guess Murray's better, but they're both very – very useful and helpful for Jokic. Just off the ball, shooting, rebounding is something people don't talk about a lot with Porter, too. He's probably got some of the best rebounding instincts in the league, especially for a non-center. Um, and, yeah, defense is bad, but he's he's gotten better. And I still think that when you really scour the landscape of the league, he's one of the best, like, third bananas out there. I would agree with that. I mean, we had Porter like 11 spots apart. I had Porter at 57 for in case this is for some reason the first episode you're listening to. Um, I had Porter at 57. So we didn't really have that much of a difference. We really didn't have that much of a difference between LaMelo or Porter Jr. I had LaMelo at 60. So like really in the same kind of tier for each of them, I would say. Like the 45 to 60 range. I mean, it's been... Porter Jr., I talked about him enough last episode. Um, I have Randall in the exact same range as this. I have him one spot higher than you do. So I have him at 48. So we have, we're pretty similar on Julius Randall. Um, Simmons. This is actually something I've been pondering about because I knew you had to have Simmons in the top 50 since you didn't discuss him last week. And I knew you weren't going to have him in the top 25. I just I knew there was absolutely no way that was going to happen. So this is this is bringing it back to the Pascal Siakam discussion. But my question is, what is the difference to you between Pascal Siakam and Ben Simmons? Because, yeah, Pascal's defense might be like a little worse, but at least he wasn't afraid to shoot in the 2017 or 2017, the 2020 playoffs when he was having a worse series than Simmons had. Like he did, he went down with the ship. Whereas Simmons just was like, nah, I'm going to, I'm going to not fight till the very end. And I, I think that would be my main objection to having Simmons over Siakam personally. Yeah. I mean, I meant, I said last week, like I, I'm definitely too low on Siakam and whether, you know, between those two guys, it's interesting because as much as I don't like Simmons, and, and I will say probably the biggest reason that I, I slept on Siakam, I think, is I didn't consider his defense as much as I should have. Um, I, I focused too much on his offense. I think that's why I ended up so low on him. Not that his offense is bad, but as I talked about last week, I raised all those concerns. I just... There's something about Siakam to me that I feel like he just needs the perfect situation to thrive. And maybe that's unfair because he had the perfect situation and that's why he did thrive. And maybe, maybe I'm being unfair, but the seasons that he's played with and without Kawhi, I just feel like have been vastly different, whether the numbers really show that or not. I, I mean, again, that Toronto team 
it wasn't just him and Kawhi. Like he had Lowry, Van Vliet, Ibaka, Gasol. Like there were so many pieces that helped take the pressure off Siakam. And I just feel like in the time since, I it just it's just looked a lot different. And the three point fall, the three point shot falling off really it's like, you know, Simmons obviously can't shoot either, but and it's again, I don't I think I would have them probably like right next to each other if I had to redo the list because I don't trust Simmons either. And I it's not that I don't trust Siakam. I just don't really know what exact how exactly you can value him when he's clearly not a number one and he's better than like a number four, but what exactly is he? That's kind of been my problem. And Simmons, we've just seen the same thing over and over. And I almost give the benefit of the doubt to him because, again, I've talked about this before. If he plays with Steph or Dame, he could be such a different player. But you're basically forcing a power forward to be a ball handler next to a center that doesn't really shoot. So it's just kind of a weird situation for Simmons. And I think I've just given him the benefit of the doubt with the situation and the fact that he's a better defender. Whereas Siakam has had the perfect situation and it just feels like he's maybe not who like he was an MVP candidate a couple years ago in the beginning of the season. And since that time, it's kind of fallen off a bit. So I just I don't feel like I have enough information on Siakam like when he has to be the man, can he and Simmons? We know he can't be the man, but. Is it more of a problem with fit than his actual talent? I I could see all that. Um, after yeah, I remember at the beginning of the twenty um of the twenty nineteen twenty season, the first two months, Pascal Siakam was being thrown out there as like you know sneak MVP candidate. For the last thirty three games, he averaged twenty one points a game on 40, 45, 33, 78 shooting splits to go along with seven rebounds and three assists. Um. I just think personally, I feel like you could throw Pascal Siakam alongside a Joel Embiid and it would go a lot better than throwing a Ben Simmons alongside a Joel Embiid. Now, is that a fair way to compare it? Probably not. But I think that Pascal has shown a willingness to do more of the little things than Ben has. Like Ben only started setting screens on a consistent basis this season. He refused to set screens before. And, you know, maybe that's part of his growth. He's only like, what, 24, 25. So maybe that's just part of him growing up and maturing as a player. But I'd rather have the quantity that I know will set screens that'll roll hard to the rim or pop hard, you know, drive hard to the rim, you know, do more selfless acts. And to be clear, shutting down the other team's best player is kind of a selfless act because you're just like giving your all to defending. So I let's let's be fair to Ben here. He is an incredible one-on-one defender. I just feel like when push comes to shove, I'd rather have the guy that isn't afraid to go down with the ship. Like he Pascal was awful in the Celtics series in 2020. Awful. I will I cannot and will not deny this. But I'm not going to be like, "Oh, hey, you know, I I want the guy who passed up a dunk, right? That's going to be his defining legacy until he changes it. 
And I, I just, for that reason, I'd rather have Pascal than Ben Simmons, but that's just me personally. Yeah. I mean, attitude is a fair point. That's something that I obviously value a lot is someone that can fit in and Simmons seems to have the attitude that he wants everyone to fit around him rather than him fit into an actual team. And I think if Simmons played, actually played power forward, this would be a different discussion because, you know, obviously we don't know which way it would have gone, but like saying that Siakam would have been better on the Sixers team than, than Ben Simmons isn't really fair because they don't play the same role at all. And like, if you put Siakam into the Ben Simmons point guard spot, it would go horribly. Right. And, and they're, they're two different types of players. And Siakam is a fine passer, but like he's not going to run a team. And I think Simmons is much more capable of being a traditional four that can pass kind of like a Draymond Green. People have talked about a lot. Um, they're just two different types of players. And again, the, the role is where I'm having trouble figuring out where they stack up against each other. And again, I think that's why I ended up being so low on Siakam was that I just don't know what role he's supposed to play. I don't know what role he's best at and what role is best for him on a good team. So that that's just kind of how it's it played out. And yes, I still ended up too low on him, but I still kind of maintain, I don't think, like, I think I still may keep him out of the top 50. I, I just, there's just something weird about, weird about him with me that I, I can't get over and, I'm sure within the first two months of the season, I'll probably be like, I was an idiot. I'm very open to that possibility. But right now, I just, I, I need to see a little bit more. It's your best attribute, Dylan, the, the ability to admit that you're actually wrong. So here's a comparison I saw that maybe Ben, to bring it back to Ben. I think Draymond is unfair, right? Because first of all, Draymond plays with two of the, the two best shooters ever, let's just say. Right. And he played with Katie and his life was made super easy by that. But what if what if Ben took more of a Lamar Odom role next to a score, a score and Lamar had more range than Ben Simmons does. Right. But Lamar Odom was a really effective player on those Lakers teams for years. Like they don't win those championships without Lamar Odom. They just don't. He was really good next to he never played next to Shaq, but he was really good in Miami. Lamar had a really long and successful career. And I don't see like if he can take more of that role than a Draymond role, I think he could really I saw that on Twitter. I can't remember who I saw saying that, but I thought it was a really good comparison. And I think that that's maybe someone he should look up to more as a role model than let's just say Draymond. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's been so long since Lamar has played. I like I can't really pinpoint exactly uh, his style, but I, I'll just say that I think the Simmons role, and this is why I've talked about the about Portland, and I think Golden State would be a fine fit too. I just think he's better with guards that can shoot. I think that he needs to be a dribble handoff guy. If you look at the real dribble handoff guys in the league, like let's talk about Sabonis, for example, and he would never play the Sabonis role, but Sabonis handles on the perimeter. He'll do a dribble handoff with a guard. And a lot of times he'll get a mismatch and he can go down low and either he's got a good enough mismatch where he can just bully the guy to the rim or he's matched up on the same guy with a little better positioning and he'll find like a back cutter. 
I mean, how can Ben Simmons not play that role? You know, like that's that fits his skill set perfectly. He's got the strength where he could take anyone to the hole if he wanted to. And you don't really have the instance where the defense is going to be playing down on him because he's not hanging out on the perimeter constantly. You have to worry about the guy that can pull up from three that he just handed the ball off to. So that's why, and this is unfair because this is like a top 100 players right now. I can't help like the ideals kind of seep in. And like, I I know that Ben Simmons has that in him where he could play with Dame Lillard and do a, do a dribble handoff and go roll to the rim or go get better positioning um, to pass to someone that's cutting or whatever. Like, I think he has that in him. And I think I would probably take that over Siakam. But again, this is all kind of like something that hasn't happened. Um, But I I think that's what Ben Simmons can be. And I hope he gets in a situation this season where he can actually show that. Yeah. um, This is a good time to point out that Ben Simmons, as expected, did not report for training camp. Um, And Dylan, I, I just know you had some thoughts on Ben Simmons not reporting to training camp. So why don't you unleash him for the world? Just let, let the world hear your Ben Simmons hot takes. I just love that Ben Simmons has, has made the Sixers the enemy. That, that's what I'm shocked with. Because as soon as that playoff series with Atlanta ended, we all knew this guy sucks. Like this guy had a wide open layup. He had two people that were close to him, but they would not have blocked his shot. Like he could easily have dunked it or laid it in. And he passed it to, I think it was Tobias Harris. It was Thibault. Thibault, which is even worse. Thibault touches the ball three times a game, and that's only when he steals it. Like this is not a guy that gets the ball on offense. He's not a priority. And to pass it to Thibault, it, it was just really shocking. And the whole world turned on Simmons as they should have. And the Sixers were like, damn, like we cannot win with this guy. If this guy can't even – this guy, this is a max player. If we can't expect him to make plays at the end of games that aren't on defense, then we can't have him. And it was, a, it was like a tough situation for the Sixers because his value was the lowest it's probably ever going to be. And you don't want to trade a guy for whatever, 60 cents on the dollar. You want to trade him for a hundred or for a dollar 10 on the dollar. You know, you want to get as much out of him as you can. And somehow throughout this process, Ben Simmons has been like, fuck you guys. I don't, I don't like playing here. It's like, dude, they don't want you to play here. Okay. This, this is not like, no one cares that you don't want to play there. You don't have to throw a a temper tantrum. No one wants you there. If you went to anyone in Philly, Philly people, they love giving you a piece of their mind. They're they're not the quiet types, man. They they boot Santa Santa Claus. They boot Santa. They don't give a fuck. If Jesus Christ came and hung out in their city, they would find something wrong with him and boo him. I guarantee it. So Ben Simmons is not safe. And these people, they don't want him. And for Ben Simmons to be like, you know what? I don't want you guys. I just think it's been a hilarious development. And we've talked about his bubble uh, of a supporting cast and the the potential Kardashian influence uh, is always interesting to throw out there. But he's got people around him that have told him, hey, you're like the best player in the league. Like, you know, people said you could be LeBron. Like, you're basically LeBron. 
And he's like, you know what? I basically am LeBron. So I'm not going to play at the Sixers anymore. I'll go play wherever. And it's, it's just amazing that it's turned into this. Yeah. I don't really have anything to add that you didn't already say. Although I do have something to add. It's worth one of the most hilarious parts of that sequence that isn't discussed enough is the guy that was thundering towards Simmons, you know, coming over in a valiant attempt to block the shot. This known shot blocker, Danilo Gallinari. That was one of the people who was in the frame. Simmons was wide open, right? There is no, in what universe is Danilo Gallinari more athletic than Ben Simmons? Certainly not this one. Certainly not this one. And I just, oh, that's so frustrating. And yeah, I I completely understand, right? Like, I think an, an element I've heard discussed a lot, too, is that they did try to trade him, right? The Sixers did try to trade him. So I understand, you know, maybe his disillusionment already. And then I'll, I'll, I'll add this, too. Doc and Joel didn't help. <laughs> they, no. they threw him. I wouldn't say they threw him under a bus. They threw him under an 18-wheeler. You know, the person who was driving the car had to, you know, get a CDL. You know, to be able to get the job like after that press conference and Doc is trying to do damage control, right? Doc Rivers is actively trying to do damage control and he act, he's acting like he didn't throw Ben under the bus after game seven. He totally did him and Joel both did. And so that damage is already done. That being said, Ben is acting like he's. Like he's hardened, right? Like he can do this or Anthony Davis and get away with it. Those guys can get away with it because they're the fucking best. All right. And at to this point, Ben, you have not been the best. It, and that's really what it boils down to, right? Is this going to be like a comparison to another podcast we did, not on this network, but with JD, the facts and stats episode about cancel culture? My main takeaway was like, if you're talented enough, you can get away with shit that other people can't, right? <laughs> And I think Ben Simmons is going to find out he is not the guy. He is not the Eminem in this situation, right? Like, I, and he isn't, and I'm not saying he's the baby either. And by the way, the baby's not been fully canceled either, but you get what I'm saying where he's not, he's not at the level of the guys where he can get away with the stuff that everyone else can get away with. Yeah. That, and that's the problem really in itself is that he thinks he is those guys. That is the exact problem. And that's why he hasn't changed his game at all, basically. Like you just mentioned that he's just now willing to like do some screening and stuff like that. I mean, this is something that is a really is a ball handle. Look at Steph Curry. Steph Curry is the guy that you would expect to do screens the least. And he does them. Kyle Korver was huge on screens. That's a guy that he's supposed to come off of screens, you know, like the, the really, the players that make a mark in the league and really last are the players that either are insanely talented right off the bat, like LeBron or the guys like Kyle Korver that can stick around despite, you know, not being very athletic and and losing a lot of ground on defense and stuff like that. They, They do the small things. Look at TJ McConnell, TJ McConnell, played over Ben Simmons for a time in the playoffs because he was a guy that did that. TJ McConnell can't shoot. He's, he's potentially a worse shooter than Ben Simmons, but his ability to fill the rest of those gaps has, you know, put him in this place he's at now where 
I can tell you that TJ McConnell is probably lowest on the list of players that Pacers fans would complain about and probably Sixers fans too. Ben Simmons happens to be the highest. (laughs) And the fact that he's highest above Tobias Harris says a lot about him right now. So his, his disillusionment is really, I think the core of all these problems. I would agree. I'd say that's a good note to wrap it up on. Um, Brockton, let's just go through the rest of your guys. Brockton, I had in the next group, I had Randall at 48. So we were pretty similar on those. Let me give my 50 through 46 since we haven't even gotten to that yet. Um, And we still have a lot of guys to go after this. So at 50, I have Jonas Valanciunas. Um, He was really great. Let Let me list the guys first. So at 49, I have Gordon Hayward. At 48, Julius Randall, 47, Clint Capella, 46, Draymond Green. And I, so, okay, Valanciunas won the Grizzlies a lot of games last year. In the playoffs, I thought his impact was kind of muted. You know, I thought Rudy Gobert shut him down personally, but he did a good job of killing the the Jazz when Favors was in the game. And then he, you know, he did a great job in the regular season keeping the Grizzlies afloat when they're, Half-court offense was really abysmal sometimes. Hayward, I thought, was the best player when he was healthy for them, and I thought he was the reason they were winning games, and I thought there was a reason the decline started after he got hurt, and I thought that he was really... I thought he wasn't Utah Hayward last year. He was about as close as he's been to it since he's left Utah, which is saying something about the Boston situation itself, but Randall's next. Um, I really liked what he did last year in New York, but he's not in the playoffs, he got shut down. I think half of that is that he's not as good as he played in the regular season, and half of that is he his teammates. Like Derrick Rose was the next best guy in in the in the series, and the Hawks just didn't have an answer for Rose. But Hunter and Capella just really did a great job on Randall. And speaking of Capella, I thought he was a really good foundation for the Hawks this year. He's not the best player. But the defense he brings, the rebounding he brings, and the the dunking he brings, the the lob threat he gives her Trey is just absolutely essential for the team. And then Draymond is probably the best defender of, if not the best, the second best defender of his generation. Like, and he had an incredible defensive season last year. The offense left a lot to be desired, but what an incredible season from Draymond Green. What do you think of my first five? I am pretty close on most of them. I mean, we talked about Randall Hayward. I had in the seventies. I was much lower, which was another one. I regrettably was lower on. I I just let the injury spoil that one, I think. Uh, But yeah, he was great while healthy. And then the other three I have coming up in the next two tiers. So we're actually pretty close on a lot of those guys, but yeah, I mean, I, I can wait to discuss more when I name them, but I mean, we're, uh, we're shockingly not far off. I, that's kind of how it's building out to this point. Yeah, it's it's not surprising. Um, we're going to see some differences. I have a lot of the guys that you named in like the 70s in this range. So we'll see. We'll see who. Let's go ahead and give your next five then. So this this first guy, I think I'm lower on than you. Um, I have Russell Westbrook here. Okay. Russell Westbrook. I think we're going to see this season what he actually is. This past season, I don't think was a fair look because actually maybe it was a fair look. Like if he's the best guy 
and I say the best guy because he did a lot of the the work when Bradley Beal was hurt. If he's the best guy on a fringe playoff team, I think this is the range you should be in. And that's why I have him here. He's a great rebounder. He's one of the best passers in the league. And that's kind of where the list stops. And those two things are incredibly valuable skills. Like the fact that we, you know, we talk about the triple doubles a lot, but I almost think the triple doubles become underrated because of Russell Westbrook. And I think that is not, I I think that's a compliment to him that he makes it look so effortless that we don't even think it's that important anymore. But he has blown everyone away in this category because he is such a good ball watcher as far as, you know, getting the ball off the rim. And yes, he's probably taking rebounds away from the bigs a lot when he shouldn't, but he also likes to get the ball and go. So that's something I'll defend from him. And again, great passer. The problem and why he's in this range compared to maybe where uh, you have him and maybe some other people is that his, his, his uh, shot making at the rim is, is gone. And if, the athleticism is great. If you can blow past guys, that's great. You got to make the shot at the rim. And we, we kind of started to see this in Houston and this season was really bad. And I don't have the numbers up, but the shots at the rim are just so much lower than they used to be. He's never been a good shooter. So that that's kind of where he is. He's a great rebounder and great passer and not much else. Um, next is Valanciunas. Love the guy. One of my favorite centers in the league. I still think the Grizzlies won the Marcus all trade even though they won a championship. I think Valanciunas was better than Gasol at the time, and obviously he is now. But he's just kind of a do-it-all guy. I just I just like him a lot. Uh, I have De'Aaron Fox now. Okay. De'Aaron Fox, De'Aaron Fox last year would have been higher on this list, but what we've seen from these other guards, namely Trey Young and John Morant, has kind of made me realize that De'Aaron Fox – is just not on their level because I'm not going to say that De'Aaron Fox has had as good of a team as those guys. Obviously that's not true, but I think if you put either of those guys in the situation of De'Aaron Fox, they would find more out of it than he has. And obviously his lack of a shot and defense um, hurts that, but I just think he's got he's got a lot to prove now because of his peers. And so I think he gets pushed down the list because he's definitely one of the better point guards in the league, but compared to those top tier guys, he's on a different level. So I think he's belongs pretty comfortably in this spot. Um, next, DeMar DeRozan, a guy that you talked about last week. I just love his passing. I love his ability to really run an offense. I think he San Antonio was just, I think he's going to look a lot better in Chicago. There's more shooting. There's just more talent altogether. And you know, what you talked about last week is fair. Like he's not a good shooter. He's not a good defender. That's fair, but he is, I think he's one of the best shot creators in the league. I I really think that he is a guy that if you want a bucket at the end of the game, he's probably at worst in the top 10. Like he is unbelievably good at getting a shot that he likes. And he's very good at getting those shots. I I think that alone, obviously I've shown with this list that I love shot creators. I think that puts him into the top 50. Um, And then Draymond Green, 
the best role player of this generation. And yes, it's helped that he has played with two of the best shooters ever, if not the best two. But his defense has played a large role in that. And his ball handling on those teams and still on the team now is incredibly important. I mean, Curry plays off the ball a lot. And Draymond Green is handling it a lot. He's running the offense. And he does a good job of kind of quarterbacking that team. And even though he's not the same offensive player he was a few years ago, he's never really been a great offensive player aside from his passing. But he's just so good at knowing what to do. And the defense is still unbelievably good. It's definitely not what it was, but it's still better than almost anyone in the league. So he's it's going to be hard for me to ever push him out of the top 50, I think, because he is just he plays his role perfectly. And I'm a big fan of that. It's always a shocker to me which guys you're higher on than me and which guys you're lower on than me. I'm not shocked at all that you're lower on me than Russell Westbrook. I have him in the next tier after this one. So we're actually kind of similar. Um, Valanchunas, I'm not surprised that you're higher on him than me. I'm surprised that you're lower on me than De'Aaron Fox, I'll say. I think that that's probably my biggest shocker, and he's in my top 30, actually. Oh. And I'll get into that when we get there. Um I'm shocked that you're higher on me than Draymond. <laughs> I'm one of the biggest Draymond fans I know, and I thought I was high on him putting him at 46. But I listen, I'm not going to disagree with you. The points on DeMar are fair. I can't dispute it, right? Like, he is just an incredible person at getting his shot off. But if he were better... <laughs> they'd win so many, they'd have won so many more games, right? That's, that's my thing. Cause he was the best player there for the last two years. Not LaMarcus. LaMarcus had kind of fallen off in 2018, 19, 20, 19, 20 range anyway. And then last year he was just awful for the Spurs. And then I think that DeMar was really good. Right. But he also, I think that San Antonio team is like last year, San Antonio team probably underperformed given the grand scheme of things, given their talent on their roster, right? Like just look at the guys that are going to go around the league this year and make an impact on their next stops. Obviously of DeMar, he's going to make an impact in Chicago. I think Rudy Gay is going to make a huge impact in Utah. You have Patty Mills in your top 100. I think that he's going to make a huge impact in Brooklyn. And then obviously you have DeJounte, you have Derek White, you have Kelton Johnson, who was really good last year. In the grand scheme, this team probably should have been better than 10th. Right. They probably should have been in the top eight, probably should have been fighting to avoid the play in. Maybe not that good, but. And this is my thing against not against DeMar because I love him as a player and I'm a huge DeMar DeRozan fan watching him play. If he were better, the team would have avoided the play in. That's just my only thing. Right. And maybe not avoided the play in, but they would have avoided the loser take all game. The loser goes home game in the first the nine ten matchup. So I don't. I again, I like his game a lot. I just think that there's a lot of guys who do what he can do, who as well as he can, in addition to doing other stuff. That's fair. I will say, I think San Antonio's big problem last season was the fact that they didn't have a center, essentially. I mean, that I think was a huge deal. If you just put like, God, whatever league average center you can think of, like, let's just say you were down. Brooke Lopez, Steven Adams, like either of those guys, I think that would have made a huge difference. And those are guys that aren't changing lives for anyone. 
for any team, but I think San Antonio, it would have because when Pirtle got thrust into that starting role, his defensive flaws majorly got exposed. And when you, you have a team that's not necessarily built to be some defensive juggernaut as it is, but when the most important defensive spot on the floor is not fulfilled, it's just going to be really tough. And also I'll say that I think Derek White was hurt a little bit. They had some injuries. So, you know, I'm not here to make excuses because I don't care about the Spurs. Um, but, you know, DeMar probably could have been better. I mean, I'm not going to qualm with that at all. But I think there was a lot of other issues that kind of sunk them too. That's fair. I'll be curious to see what they do this year. I think they're going to be one of the worst teams in the league this year. I think that it's not really close, but I think we'll, we'll see where they go from here. I just like, I think DeMar in Chicago is an interesting fit personally, like the defense, if he was better at defense, I think that team you could pencil them in for 50 wins, but he's, he's not Zach's not great. And obviously Vooch, who is actually going to be in the the next five guys I name, he's not great on defense either. So I'll just be curious to see what happens with them. I like I said, I have De'Aaron Fox in the top thirty, but we'll get to that later. Um, my next five. So at forty five, I have a guy you you have in the seventies, Karis Levert. I thought he was really good in Indiana when he was healthy, and I think he's been really good in Brooklyn the last couple of years. I think personally, he probably was the best player not named Kyrie <laughs> on the 2020 Nets. Cause obviously Katie didn't play. I thought he was better than Spencer. I thought he was better than Kyrie. And then he was really good in Indiana last year at 44. I have Malcolm Brogdon um, guy. You just mentioned I have at 43. I have CJ McCollum who you have in the sixties. I think CJ is really good. I think the shot creation is really good and his defense is terrible, but I just, I like, I think if you put him next to a, on a team where he could kind of have free reign a little bit more, I think he would shine in that role. Personally, I have Van Vliet at 42 mm-hmm. and I have Vucevic at 41. Um, you, who you had in the fifties, Van Vliet to me is one of the best guard defenders in the league. He was really good and his shooting is real, very real. Um, he's not that great of a finisher. I think that Van Vliet, is just a massive impact player. And like, let's just say the Raptors proposed for whatever reason, Van Vliet for Simmons. I think the Sixers jump all over that deal. Even though I have Van Vliet lower than Simmons. I just think Van Vliet's the kind of guy that could compliment a great big man like that or a great wing. I think he's a really good, <laughs> this is a funny way to put this. He's like a compliment, a great complimentary player. Where like if he's not your lead guy and you have him as the secondary player, as the second best player on your team, I think you're in a really good spot. Yeah, I'm this is funny how this is playing out because I'm so much lower on Pascal than you, but I'm much higher on OG and I'm a little bit higher than on Van Fleet. Um I'm I'm guessing I'll be lower on Lowry, but I guess that remains to be seen. Um uh, but yeah, I think he is awesome. I was listening to a Raptors broadcast earlier in the season last year, and they were talking about him being one of the best defensive guards in the league. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, that is such a homer call. And then I actually started watching him. I'm like, holy shit, this dude's one of the best guard defenders in the league. 
I mean, his hands, he's so good at his hands. He's, I mean, he's a small dude, but he is pretty, like, I would say strong at positioning himself. I think he, he does a really good job of playing uh, bigger than he is, I would say. And he's just one of those guys that's like a pest. And, I mean, the Sixers is a good – like him, Seth Curry, and Embiid, I think would be a fascinating, like, to see four balance-wise. I mean, the shooting of the two guards and then the defense with Van Vliet and Embiid's offense down low and his defense too, I mean, I, I, that would be amazing. And it would be a major win for the Sixers to do that. It absolutely would. Um, Van Vliet, so he averaged a steal a game in his first two seasons where he got actual playing time. And in the last two years, in 2019-20, or his first game where he was a full-time starter, he had 1.9 steals a game. Then last year, in 52 games, 1.7 steals a game. Like, that's pretty hard to do on a consistent basis, and he can just steal it from you nonstop. Um, I love that about him. I mean, the shooting efficiency isn't great, but again, that's, I think he's going to bounce back to the 41% where he was at before they played in Tampa. Like last year was so weird for the Raptors. I wouldn't be surprised if like they fuck around and get into the AC playing the exact same way they did last year. Right. Just because of the Tampa thing. Like I'm, that's so weird to evaluate the guys coming off of that, but Fred's defense is incredible. And then Brogdon, you and I had him in the same range. Oh, I want to just bring up Westbrook. So I pulled up our favorite site, cleaning the glass while you were talking about Westbrook. His rim finishing actually didn't fall off at all. His rim finishing is actually still pretty elite. Last year it was in the 84th percentile at 65%. Where he's fallen off, I think you would agree, Dylan. Peak Russell Westbrook was a danger from the mid-range. He was a threat from the mid-range. And last the last five years... The last good year he had from the mid-range was the last year Kevin Durant was there. 37%, 38%, 32%, 40%, 39% from mid-range the last five years. The mid-range has fallen off, and he was never a great three-point shooter to begin with, but it just really hasn't been there at all the last couple of years. Last year, he was in the seventh percentile for threes. Just like the outside shooting has collapsed, and you can play off Russ now. And you could next year, if he's trying to throw a post entry pass into AD, they might be just sitting at AD's lap, (laughs) right? Just saying, Hey, you know, go ahead and try to make an entry pass. And teams have successfully baited Russ into shooting. And that's not a good sign. If you can be successfully baited into taking your worst shot, I have Russ in the next group, right? My next five. So we weren't that far off on Russ. I just think that, what he does well, he does better than just about anybody. But what he does bad, <laughs> he's just about as the worst in the league at his bad stuff. Like his bad tendencies. Russell Westbrook is a very much like, oh, you have to take the great with the awful, right? Normally it's you take the good with the bad. But in his case, it's take the great with the awful. He's a very fun player. He's a very flawed one, too. <laughs> As soon as the Lakers made that trade, I'm like, this is going to be awesome for AD. But the him and LeBron, I just – I don't see how that works. I mean, LeBron is a – kind of relies on shooting more now, um, I think, because he's – he doesn't – it's not that he doesn't have the athleticism he used to. I mean, I guess that's a fair thing to say, but I don't think he wants to, to attack the room constantly because he's like – 
I'm 38 or whatever, I'm going to get beat to hell. <laughs> so he's kind of just fallen back on his shot a little bit. So maybe that is something that happens. Um, I don't know. I mean, this isn't really a preview pot or anything, but he Russell has always been good for bigs. Look at last season. Well, before Thomas Bryant got hurt, that was like the one lone bright spot that they had because they were horrible to start the season. But Thomas Bryant was awesome. <laughs> and it was because of Westbrook just constantly finding him uh, hanging at the top of the key or finding him for lobs or whatever it was. And obviously Anthony Davis happens to be much better than Thomas Bryant. And when you get him the ball, he's pretty good. I mean, I'm thinking back to New Orleans when Rondo was there, you know, he was so good with Rondo because Rondo knew how to get him the ball at certain places. And I think Westbrook could be the same, but it's just with everyone else in the mix, I'm interested to see how it plays out. Yeah. And the spacing is going to be significantly, I say it's going to be the same as it was in Washington last year. But how is he going to react? Because the other two teams, he kind of wrestled control away from the top guys, right? Like in Houston, it eventually became his team where he was playing, you know, basically the center on offense role. And then in Washington, it's like, okay, Brad didn't really want to carry the team. He's like, okay, I'm going to get my shots up, but someone else does all, you know, like the, the assisting and the rebounding and stuff. Brad wasn't interested in doing that, which is fair, right? That he doesn't really have the body build to do that, but Russ took over and they went on a rabid run and made the playoffs. Like they were the best team in the, not the best team. They were like one of the best teams record wise in the East after the all-star break. Like they were just, they went on a ridiculous tear and Russ is just has the ability to take over games, but then let's pull up the, the playoff stats from this year. Shall we? Because <laughs> so 19 points a game, 12 assists, not bad. The shooting splits, 33, 25, and 79, which actually is a market improvement from his free throw percentage the previous year, which was 42. The shooting splits last year were 42, 24, 53. So, the, like, basically, let's just go through the career field goal percentages in the playoffs after KD left. Got 39, 40, 36, 42, 33. He just, he's very inefficient, very boomer bust. And the field goal attempts after KD left. The field goal attempts in 2017 were 30, which if you remember that team, it adds up because that team was awful without him. Um, 2018, 27 attempts a game. 2019, 22. 2020, 17.5. Last year, 17. Like, very boomer bust. And in the playoffs, it's been a lot more bust than boom. Yeah, and for a Lakers team that's trying to, to win a championship... Um, good luck with that. I like if if Kawhi and Jamal Murray were healthy, I would say that they're not they're they'd have the third best odds at best. I'd still probably take the Suns over them the way their team is constructed now. I just I don't like the way their roster is constructed, but I'm more than willing to be proven wrong this season. Yeah, I, I'm more I'm willing to be proven wrong too. I just, I don't know. It's just weird, but weird things have worked out before, so we'll see. They have, and that's a good note to end it on. Um, Shout out to Malcolm Bragdon, who we didn't talk about a whole lot. Just very complimentary player, and I think he'd fit on. I think all 30 teams would want a guy like Malcolm Bragdon with his skill set. So on that note, what is your, Dylan Hughes, what is your 40th through 36th ranked players in the league? 
So 40, I have Jonathan Isaac, who you don't have on the list. I'm projecting and looking back. I mean, he's just one of the best defensive players in the league when healthy. I think he's blossoming into a better player on offense. Obviously, we haven't really seen much of it yet, but we've seen small improvements with shot creation and shooting and stuff like that. So I think hopefully he comes back this season healthy and next to Suggs, I think they're going to be awesome together. Um, So hopefully he can hold up and continue to grow on offense. Cause again, defensively he's there, like he's, he's everything you can ask for. So that's, that gives him a massively high floor. Next is Clint Capella. Clint Capella is just another like center that he could fit on any team in the league. Like we we've talked about centers a lot, how you're either Nikola Jokic or you're Clint Capella and Clint Capella is the best Clint Capella you could ask for. Like of that role of player, aside from Gobert, I I don't know if I would consider them the same. Uh, They play a similar role, but of the, I guess of the beyond Gobert players, like Capella is the best at, at doing that, where he is just a great defender and really good down low. I mean, he's not just a lob threat. Like I think he's, you can give him the ball and he can, he's not a hook shot guy or anything like that, but he can, he can do a little bit of work if necessary. So he's just a guy that I love to watch. Um, and then Sabonis after that. Sabonis, I mean, again, I, I talk about him all the time, not a homer or anything. I mean, I just think that he is such a great offensive hub. He's, he's not a good shooter, but he's pretty much passable or good at everything else. Like defensively, he's a little bit leaves to, leaves some to be desired. But I've talked about this a lot. His positioning is so good that he makes up for it a lot. He's not going to block shots. That's not who he is. But he's a big guy that's going to get in your way. And he's given guys trouble. Like he's given Embiid trouble in the past. He's given a lot of bigs that are kind of anchored down low trouble because he's so strong on defense. And great passer um doesn't have a right hand still which is which is not good but you know he's so good with his left hand i guess it's worked to this point um next next is shay gilgis alexander i mean i think this guy is kind of being overlooked including by me i had to i had to sit back and be because i think i was a little bit lower initially i think shay is one of the best young guards in the league i mean we we watched him, in, or I don't know, we didn't go to the same game. I watched him in person against the Pacers. Shout out to we Malcolm. did go to the same game. Did we? Okay. Yeah, we did. I, I talked to so many people about these games we've covered. I don't know who was at the game at this point. But, I mean, I don't know if you thought the same as me because the Thunder were getting killed in that game. SGA was unstoppable, man. Like, he, he was getting to the rim at will. He's obviously a great defender. The shot is getting better. It's still not as where you want it, but offensively, man, he is really tough to stop. And I think of all the guards in this kind of range, De'Aaron Fox is another, but I think he has the best chance of shooting up into like the top 25 range pretty quick because that Thunder team was horrible last year. I think if he's on a better team, which I'm not going to say the Thunder are going to be much better this year, but who knows? But I I just think he's awesome, and he's being kind of overlooked because he's on that team. And then next, OG Ananobi, the man that 
I am way higher on than Alex somehow. I just think that I don't like to do the Kawhi comparison with guys like this, and I'm not doing it, I'll say, because I think it's so stupid how every single year in the draft, this guy reminds me of Kawhi Leonard. It's like, no, he doesn't. He may remind you of Kawhi Leonard in college who couldn't shoot. Yeah, maybe he does. Kawhi Leonard should never receive comparisons ever because that dude was like a very rare occurrence that he turned into a shooter. But OG has become better on ball. He's obviously one of the best, you know, wing defenders in the league. He's a good shooter. I mean, like of he is kind of the next he's like the second or third tier wing, I'd say, where he's not LeBron or KD. But and I wouldn't say he's, you know, Jalen Brown either, but he's among the next guys, the guys that really don't have that offensive game yet, but do have it on defense. I mean, I think he's leading the pack. And OG is the exact kind of guy you want on defense, like in terms of like he's a guy who's quick and is strong. There's not a whole lot of those guys out there. That's not like just a combination that grows on trees. Right. Um, obviously, you're higher on me than OG somehow. I, I don't know how this happened. We have our third exacto, Dylan, where we have oh. the exact same player in the exact same place because I have DeMontis Sabonis at 38 as well. So this is a fun, nice little piece of synchronicity there. It's funny that the three players are DeMontis Sabonis, Christian Wood, and Boyan Bogdanovich. I don't know what that says <laughs> us so far. I'm guessing we'll have the same first player. So I'm guessing that we'll have at least four exactos. Um, Jonathan Isaac would have been on this list for sure. If I knew what was going to come from him, he says, so I looked it up while you were talking about him. He is, I don't think he's going to play opening night just based on the way he's talking about it. I'm going to guess if he's back, I'm going to say he'll, he'll be back by December because he tore his ACL in August of last year. Right. And I know we've, gotten used to seeing these superhuman comebacks from ACLs like nine months time. But I think it's realistic to say he'll be back probably by December of this year, maybe January play like 50 games this year. And Isaac, when he's healthy is one of the best defensive players in the league. I would say just like when we were first doing this exercise and I was starting to build my list before I determined I wasn't going to have him on there. I didn't remember that he averaged 2.3 blocks and 1.6 steals a game in 2020. That just slipped my mind. And it's it's incredible how good he is on defense. He's so good. The Magic were able to have a viable defense next to Nikola Vucevic. Just like absolutely incredible. Um what a what a guy from what a season from Isaac in 2020. Capella, great choice. And then SGA, I'm, I'm higher on than you which I'm not much higher. I have him like a couple of spots ahead of you, but I, I love the way he plays. Um, I don't think I ever said my 41st ranked player. Did I, I think I might've just said Fred Van Vliet. And then we moved on to my f- next five at 41. I had Vooch. I don't know if I said that last time. I don't know if you remember me saying that or not. I don't think you did. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So at 41, I had Vooch who, you know, despite his defensive, shortcomings is still an incredibly gifted offensive player. Like he's just so good on offense, but at this range, I kind of have the guys where you can't win if you have them as your best player and you can't 
like you can't even really win regular season games with Vooch as your best player. It just isn't going to work. But I still, you know, I love his offensive capabilities. Um, Kyle Lowry, I have at 40. I'm shocked that I you're lower. I'm lower on him than you are. Absolutely shocked. Um, Lowry is, he had a weird year and I don't know. I probably, if I was doing the benefit of the doubt thing I was saying with the Toronto players, he should probably be getting the benefit of the doubt because he was the best player <laughs> in that Celtics, uh, that Celtics Raptors game seven, like just a year ago. So I probably should move him up, but I love Kyle Lowry. I think he's going to be a great addition to the heat and they're going to really need him at 39. I have Mike Conley. I thought he was really good last year. You had him at 66, I want to say. And I thought he was really good last year. The shooting was the best it ever was. We talked about that a lot the last episode. Sabonis, I had at 38. Um, You know, basically everything you said, he's really punishing for guys inside. (laughs) Especially, he's not the biggest, right? But he's so skilled. He's so skilled and he's strong enough to push guys around. And plus the passing. He's kind of like, if I'm curious to see what would happen if they gave him like Jokic like usage. I don't think it would lead to the same results, but I don't think it would be that terribly far off either. I just am curious to see. It's not going to happen this year, but I, I'd be curious to see. At 37, I have Westbrook, so we weren't that far off at all. And at 36, I'm shocked that I'm lower on this guy than you are. I have Rudy Gobert at 36. And I know I talked a lot about and I'll just spend my, most of my time here talking about Rudy. I know I spent a lot of time after the Jazz series, after the Jazz Clippers series, talking about how a lot of it wasn't Rudy's fault. But Rudy Gobert is a simple problem to me. If he could post up, then he'd be in the top twenty because he'd be literally impossible to keep off the floor. You, the Clippers couldn't have done what they did to him if he could post them up and take advantage of them in the post, but he can't. And that to me, he's a transcendent regular season center. And he's a center that's going to lose every time in the playoffs because he's because the team is going to be taken advantage of. Yeah, I think it's going to end up being surprising where I have Gobert because it's not even cool. Like, it's not this episode. Wow. He's, um, this is the thing with me with Gobert. If you really think about the teams that have taken him out of the equation, they just didn't have a center really was the thing. If, if the jazz go this year up against the Lakers or the nuggets, he's not being taken out. We were talking about Gobert last season when they played the nuggets, how Gobert actually played Jokic incredibly well on defense, but Jokic is just so much better as an offensive creator that he just won. It had really nothing to do with Gobert being a bad player. And you know, Gobert, he gets a ton of criticism in, in the postseason, and I have participated in that heavily. But you also have to just realize that if you have a center on the floor, like, he's going to be able to guard everyone in the league except for Jokic and Embiid. And by the way, no one can guard those two guys. So that is not to me a dis- like a disqualifying quality or whatever as a top whatever player. I mean, he, as I just talked about the Capella, like of that mold of guy, he's the best of the guy that's that's not really offering anything on offense except for screening and rolling. I mean, he's he's the best at that, and he's also a guy that you're going to have a good defense no matter who's on the team, pretty much because he's that 
that much of a difference maker on defense. So I completely understand why you're this this low on him. Um, but I just, for me personally, I had to become a little realistic with what he actually offers and the teams that take him out. Like Harden, Kawhi, and Paul George taking you out of a series, I don't think that's something that turns you into some terrible player. No, I just, I wish he could stay on the floor. Like, and not like, if he could go in the post. This is literally my only objection to Rudy Gobert. Because, yeah, in terms of guys that can go to hard to the rim, set really great screens, really great screener, Rudy Gobert. I'm not going to dispute this. And one of the best rim protectors in the league. I don't think what happened on defense in the Clippers series was his fault, right? It was Bogdanovich not being able to guard, Ingles not being able to guard, Mitchell being a save on defense in that series as much as I love him and as high as I have him on the list. And obviously Conley not being there. I just think that if all that would have been mitigated if he could have punished them on the other end, right? And that's why I have him so low is because he he couldn't punish them on that other end and punish them for playing so small all the time, right? You're Rudy Gobert. You're 7'2", 280, right? Is it that much to ask you to back down 6'8", 250 Marcus Morris? Like, is it that much to ask? And the jet, the Clippers weren't scared of that at all. And that's part of why Ty Lue is so genius as a coach. He knew it wasn't going to, it wasn't a problem. So he took the possibility away from them and was like, Oh, Hey, you are going to have to beat us, Rudy. And you are not going to beat us. And I just, I, I totally understand why you have him in the top 25. Right. I totally understand it. I just can't square the fact that you can take him out of a series on offense. You could take him out of a series on defense by taking, advantage of what he can't do on offense. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it again. I've, I've heavily participated in the slander and I will continue to participate. I'm here for it, but you know, looking at the guys I have behind him, there's a problem with one. There's a problem with all those guys too. So I'm not going to, and yes, like the go bear, not being able to survive on the floor in every series like that is a problem that, you know, some of those guys you can't maybe say that about, but I just think the it's hard to ignore the floor. And as you mentioned, the team has something to do with it too, because Mitchell has come up short as a lead creator a lot. Last season being kind of the one where he wasn't. Every other season, he has not been a great lead ball handler. So, there's flaws on this team. As you mentioned, the defense of the other guys, there's flaws on that team. I think to pour all of it onto, to go bear isn't fair. It's, it's completely fair point. And like I said, I'm not putting all of it on go bear. I'm just saying they took advantage of the one hole that the jazz had on offense and it ruined their, they ruined their season. And plus I don't know what it was with them. They just kind of, they kind of choked as a whole team <laughs> to me, especially in those last two games after Kawhi went down. There's no reason they shouldn't have won at least. Zach Lowe was saying this and we talked about it in the moment, right? Cause we were saying the jazz deserve more blame for choking the way the 76ers did, but the jazz really kind of shit the bed 
in those last two games of that Clippers series. And it, it really was kind of inexcusable from the whole team, not just Rudy. So I'm, I'll be curious to see what they do this season. We're not, again, this isn't a team preview. I'm really curious to see what happens with the jazz this season. We'll talk more about Lowry later. Cause I'm sure you have him and you already talked about Sabonis and Westbrook. So who do you have as your next five Dylan Hughes? So this is, this is just the Raptors section, I think, because I just had OG. Now I've got Van Vliet. And, and right after that, Kyle Lowry, who is just departing the Raptors. But, yes, I mean, not much to be said. We just talked a bunch about Van Vliet. Lowry, again, like the guy is possibly the best complimentary point guard in the league. And you could even say, maybe aside from Kyrie, the best of this generation. I mean, him and him and Kawhi together were perfect because because Lowry is a guy that doesn't need to lead the show and he doesn't really want to. And I think that's why he's going to be great in Miami, too, because playing next to two guys that need the ball and he can just kind of hang out. He can hit open shots. He can make really cool passes and he can play his ass off ass off on defense. And I, I just I love the guy and I don't care how old he is. He's going to eat, you know, he, he's going to stay thick, man. And he's going to keep out, he's going to keep out working these kids. So I think he's, he's going to survive. I think he's going to end up like Chris Paul, where he's just going to keep chugging for a long time because he's just so sound at everything. And after that, DeAndre Ayton, DeAndre Ayton, I think would have finished higher on this list if he didn't gas out in the finals. I'm not going to blame that on him, but I think that was kind of the difference between him being like a legit third banana on a finals team. And not to say that he's not now, but if, if you're going to gas out in the finals, like that's kind of a, we can't rely on you point. And he's going to get in better shape. He's not going to have to guard Giannis most likely, although he'll probably have to guard some other great player. And he'll be older and wiser and all that, but I I think he's he's in the right spot where listen, the dude was awesome on defense, he was awesome on offense, and he was majorly propped up by Chris Paul, but he still took advantage of the opportunity and he was huge for them in those early series. I mean, there were games that he legitimately won. The dude would he would have games where he'd have a double double in the first quarter. So he has taken a huge step up but I still think he's below that next tier because, you know, they needed him in the finals and he kind of came up small. So I, I understand why, but for that reason, he's at this point. And then Clay Thompson, another guy you're not going to have for injury reasons, which I get. And we'll see what he is when he comes back. But he, at least last time we saw him, was – one of the few guys in the league that can really give a great ball handler a real tough time on defense. I mean, his defense on Kyrie in some of those finals games was so good. And he, he's one of the few guys that can actually check those guys. He's not going to stop them, but he's going to give them some possessions where it's like, holy shit, this is impossible to get past this dude. And the fact that you have that on top of the shooting where he is, I don't know, probably the best catch and shoot shooter ever. I mean, he just drills into his spot and puts it up instantly. Like he's not sitting there thinking about the shot. It goes up. It's like, he's like, he's just 
perfected this form where the form is the same no matter what. You know, J.J. Redick, who just retired, talks about that a lot, where as a shooter, you have to have a repeatable form every time. If your feet are just off a little bit of your hands, like it messes everything up. And for Thompson to drill that down so perfectly to the point he has, has made him unstoppable. And he's only in this range because of those injuries. If he was healthy, he'd be much higher. But, you know, I I still feel like the last we saw from him and and just kind of assuming that those injuries don't impact his game much, considering he's not a guy that, I mean, on defense, defensively, it may hurt him, but I don't think he relies on, on, um, his lower leg health too much as much as some other guys might. So he feels okay here for me. And then to round it out, Brandon Ingram, Brandon Ingram, man, is just last season, despite having zero spacing, the dude carved out spacing. I mean, he got to his spots and he hit shots and he's gotten better as a passer. I'd say he's, defensively still obviously not great, but as far as lead ball handler on a playoff team, obviously they're not that yet, but obviously that was Eric Bledsoe, Steven Adams. Like there's a lot of guys that were there that shouldn't have been there that made his life harder. And a guy we'll talk about later life harder as well. But I just think he is blossomed into one of the best scoring wings in the league. And I think he could get better. So, in this five, I you were higher on me than the Raptors, guys. Incredible. Obviously, so when I was going out to make my top 100 and I didn't want to rank the injury guys, Clay Thompson was the guy I named the injury category after. The Clay Thompson Memorial All-Stars. <laughs> because, let's just talk about Clay. Although, I'll say, I have Brandon Ingram and DeAndre Ayton literally one spot <laughs> Um, lower than you had each of them. So that's funny. So Clay to me is the most interesting player in the league next year. First of all, I don't think he's going to be back before Christmas. If not before Christmas, then like maybe December 15th, right? And he's had two back-to-back majorly devastating leg injuries, right? The first was the Achilles. The second was the ACL. I don't know if they were on the same leg. That's actually probably important information. But I think that those two injuries, the defense isn't going to be the same. Like Katie's defense, the reason Katie's defense came back and we saw, we watched the Nets a lot this year in the regular season, his defense was not good in the regular season. The only reason his defense recovered was because he's Kevin fucking Durant and there's nobody built in the NBA like him, right? Nobody. I mean, John Wall's defense was awful last year. Generally speaking, your offense recovers when you come back from an injury like this, but your defensive timing is off. Now, maybe that's mitigated by him, you know, maybe gaining some weight and guarding wings, right? Maybe he's guarding wings now instead of guards, you know, maybe he doesn't need that quickness advantage. That's just my biggest concern with Clay coming back. I have no worries about the shooting. Absolutely none. I'm sure. I don't know if he'll be moving up, running off of screens the same way, but he'll definitely be, you know, He's going to be a beneficiary of Draymond getting him open shots. I have no worries about the shooting. The The defense is what concerns me. And then Aiton, the reason I have Aiton over Gobert, and I'll talk about that more later, is because Aiton could do what Gobert couldn't. And yes, Aiton is significantly worse than Gobert on defense. Who isn't, right? <laughs> 
in the NBA at, in terms of rim protection? Who isn't? Just that's like a genuine question. But he could punish the Clippers on the other end. And I'm going to pull up the Clippers series stats for him because that was an incredible series for him. Um, just in terms of like all the series, the first three rounds, he really got impacted by the Saric injury. They really missed Saric, which was a shocker. And if you said that in like, if I told you in March that they were going to miss Saric, you'd probably laugh at me because they're like, oh, they don't need Saric. But against the Clippers, he averaged 18 points a game, 14 rebounds. He blocked 10 shots. So he averaged about a block and a half a game like a little more than that. He shot 70% from the field for the playoffs. His shooting percentage was 66%. Like he did what he needed to do on the offensive glass. He got 67 offensive rebounds over 22 games, which is about three a game. That's actually really nice math. Thank you, DeAndre Ayton. Um, Yeah, he was gassed by the time the finals hit. There's no doubt about it because he was playing 45 minutes a game. But the fact that his body handled that, I think he deserves a lot of credit for being able to handle playing 45 minutes a game over that six game stretch over the finals, the hardest minutes of your life, basically up until that point. So I I really like him. Um, Let me go ahead and give my five before I break down Brandon Ingram. So my next five at 35, I have Ben Simmons on the defense. You know, we talked about that. A lot. And I think that's the main reason I have him up here. I actually, when I first started making this list, he was at 20. <laughs> so he fell a good deal between now and uh, between now and May. Um, at 34, I have DeAndre Ayton. At 33, I have Shea Gilgis Alexander. 32, Brandon Ingram. And 31, Pascal Siakam. We already, we've talked enough about Pascal Siakam, okay? <laughs> we Brandon Ingram. Okay, Shea, you brought up Shea's ability to get to the rim. I'll talk about him then Ingram. Shea's ability to get to the rim is remarkable. And I think if he plays a full season next year, you could convince me that they'll fight for the play-in because he's that good, right? Like, he was so good, they needed to shut him down last year. And for what it's worth, he didn't play for Team Canada, so he didn't... There's a chance the injury was real. But I, I think that was a phony baloney injury so that they could tank, right? And they were like a 500 team when he played. <laughs> And then they went on a horrendous losing streak, which we talked about when we talked about Lou Dort. But he was a really fucking good player last year. Ingram. Do you realize Ingram basically had the same season in 2020 and 2021? Like, he basically had identical seasons the last two years in New Orleans. And I think it's more impressive what he did last year because the spacing was so awful, right? Bledsoe, God bless him, man. I... Uh, Caleb wanted me to say nice things about Eric Bledsoe. When he, I'll say this, Caleb. Well, shout out to you. Shout out to you. When Bledsoe tries, he's really great on defense. He did not give a shit in New Orleans last year, and that was their problem. And listen, I think that if you get, they're going to have more spacing next year. Nikhil Alexander Walker might take a leap. You know, you never know. Kira Lewis might develop into something. I think there's a chance he could average 28 points a game next year with improved spacing. I really do. Like he's only 24. (laughs) It's crazy how young he is. He was in the 2016 draft and he's only, he just turned 24. I think like three weeks ago, three weeks from when we're recording this. I just, I love the way Ingram plays. He's such a phenomenal player. And I really am excited to see what he looks like with an actual team around him next year. What are your thoughts on my five? 
I mean, two of the three are pretty much the same, so can't complain about that. Um, again, Pascal, we discussed enough. I, I still feel like you're too high on him, but we've driven that nail into the coffin or whatever, so that's fine. SGA, you know, looking at this list, I probably would have actually bumped him up a few spots because I think he's probably better than OG. And him and Van Fleet, they're close. And I will say that there were some some pre-draft rumors that the Thunder were thinking about trading him to Toronto for the pick and maybe something else. And I was just daydreaming about him and Van Fleet on defense. It would have been so good. But and of course, having Scotty Barnes and OG and and Van Vliet, I think that's going to be just as fun. So we'll have to see. I have a feeling that Barnes will make this list next year, um, along with some of the other rookies. But yeah, I mean, who was the, who was the other guy I didn't mention? Uh, ben Simmons, your favorite. Oh, yeah. So we've talked about all these guys already, but. Yeah, I mean it. I, I think it's fair being high, um, being higher on Shea, and being higher on Simmons again. I can understand. Obviously, Siakam I get. So no qualms from me. Shea, here's here's a question for you before we move on to your last five. Is Shea a give up the farm kind of player for you? Where like if you're a team on the verge of contention. And you're like, okay, we need to take the next step. Do you think Shea Gilgis Alexander is a guy who you give up all your picks for? Or is he like not at that level? I don't think he's there yet because I think you need to be kind of like all NBA to be a guy like that. I mean, I don't think there's many give up the farm guys in the league. I think because I actually think people were talking about Brandon Inger for the fourth pick too. And those are two guys that we have very close. And it's like, you know what? I think that's probably like perfect value, maybe the pick and then something else because they've actually proven they're good NBA players. But that I I think in most drafts, they're probably not going number one overall. They're probably going in the top five of pretty much every draft, but they're not, you're not going to give up, Two firsts. I, I don't even think two firsts. I think is probably too much, unless you're talking about like two, two late lottery picks or something like that. But two top five picks, I think, is kind of a reach for them. Okay, I just I thought I'd gauge your temperature on them. All right, let's go ahead and move on to your last five players of tonight. Yes. Yeah, so so this is the top thirty. So this is where it really gets juicy, I think. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested. We're probably going to end up having pretty much the same players, but um, aside from Gobert, as we've already established, but I think it's going to be interesting to see where we fall on some of these guys. So next I have John Morant at 30 and I have a feeling you're probably higher on him than me. I just, it's been one season. It's been one playoffs, you know, I think he's catapulted himself up to this point because he had such a great run. I mean, I don't think anyone expected them to beat that Warriors team. And, I mean, we watched that game in person at, at the the house of Zach Griffith. What a great night. Uh, but, I mean, he was – man, he is killing these people, man. Like, he had such a great run. He was damn good against Utah, too. It's just that, aside from Dylan Brooks, he didn't get a ton of help. You know, there was major difference in talent, but – 
I mean, Jaw is awesome. And I think he's going to keep climbing this list as the years go on. Next is Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray, another injury guy, but God, man, he, his ceiling is like as high as you can go. I mean, he's like, I really think that he, I could see him being a Kyrie level player where he's not, not the, not as far as play style. He's not going to be the best finisher of all time or anything like that. But him and Jokic, I really see as kind of like LeBron and Kyrie where Kyrie on his own is mm, not, not great. Like he's not leading you to a top four seed. And even if he does, like you're probably not going to go far in the playoffs, but man, when he's with that other guy, he's awesome. And I think that's what Murray is. Like he gives the nuggets that insanely high ceiling where he could score 50 points a night, like not every night, but if he drops 50, it's like, Oh wow. Just another one for him. Like he is that talented on offenses. His shooting is great. And he's one of the best supporting members in the league. I think he is a great complimentary uh, player. After that, Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown could probably be higher. This is a guy that just every year gets better at something. He's He gets better on defense every year. He gets better at creating. He gets better at dribbling, shooting. Like he is a guy that just pr- improves every year. And I love that. I love players that improve every year. That's one of the reasons why I really like Miles Turner. A lot of people have their problems with him. I get, but he makes improvements every year. And we talked about Ben Simmons. He doesn't make improvements every year. There's players that do and players that don't. And I always respect players that despite being very good players, they continue to want to get better. And I've always respected that about Jalen Brown. Um, Next, Carl Anthony Towns. Carl Anthony Towns has been a guy that, has kind of slipped over the past few years and it's not really his fault, but he hasn't had great supporting casts, even when the teams were good. Like, I don't know if, if Jimmy Butler and Andrew Riggins were necessarily the best fits for him, you know, and maybe that was just coaching. That was a problem, but he's a guy that as we saw with Finch last year, and as we talked about earlier, he can go to a next level. And his defense still needs some work, but he on offense, I mean, he is not only one of the best shooting big men in the league, like he is one of the best shooters in the league. I mean, he is unbelievably good at shooting and he is very confident from out there. And obviously in the paint, he's very hard to stop too. So he is just a load. And I think he's another guy that could move up this season. And then next one of our favorites, Zach Levine, just, an awesome year. We talked about him last pod when we were talking about DeRozan, I think. I mean, the dude, he was shooting at the efficiency of centers from two-point range. Like, he was so good. And the way that he carried himself last year was was really impressive. And the Bulls' performance with and without him was just drastically different. So... He he's a guy I've fallen in love with. I love watching him. He is one of you know I'm an efficiency king. I, I I love I love to see some efficient basketball. And Zach Levine is one of the best in the league as far as efficiency. So he's he's one of my favorites to watch, and I'm excited to watch him more this season. So it's funny, Ja Jamal and Zach are all in this range for me. 
Carl Anthony Towns, Jalen Brown are both in the next spot. I'll say that. So this is, I think, our paths diverge a little here. Um, I flip Murray and Morant. I have Murray ahead of Murray. And the differentiator for me is that Josh is just a better passer. Um, they're mm. both not great on defense. <laughs> and also, I think if you put John Morant on his own team, like Kyrie is an elite second option, right? We saw that in Cleveland. We saw that in Brooklyn this year. I know that he was the third option nominally, but in the playoffs, he was the second option for the most part. Um, I think Jamal's in that similar vein, like you said. I think that's a really good comparison. I think I've made it before, not on this podcast maybe, but he's got a Kyrie-level affect to him where if you put him as the second guy, he is going to be great for you. He's going to give you exactly what you need. And we saw him last year in the playoffs, and I don't think that was a fluke. He got better off of last year, and he looked really good before he tore his ACL, unfortunately, and that was it sucked. And Ja, if Ja ever improves his jumper, he's going to be a top 15 player just based on what he can already do. Like, he's so good. I don't know if he ever will. Um, I'll, we'll save Jalen, my thoughts on Jalen and Carl for the next episode. And then I have Zach Levine at 27. <laughs> so everything you said about him is right. The interior presence and the the outside shooting just makes him a monster on offense. He's unstoppable. And man, if he could, he is going to get maxed when he's a free agent because the bulls. So I was listening to Zach Lowe and Bobby Marks um, yesterday. And they said that the only extension he can get won't be like the max contract because he signed such a cheap contract before the new CBA hit. Or was it after the new CBA? No, it was after the new CBA. Shout out the Kings. They fucked up Zach's life, apparently. So <laughs> he's going to be a free agent next season, I believe. And if he's a free agent, that could be really interesting because if he changes hands, that could just be really interesting for the face of the league is all I'll say. Um, my other two guys. So I had J- Jamal at 30. I had Ja at 29. I have a guy you had at 43, De'Aaron Fox at 28. I really, I know I, it's a shocker that I'm high on De'Aaron Fox. I just love what he did in Sacramento last year. And I bet if you put him in that jazz series in Jaws place, he would crush them even more than Ja did because the difference between John ja Fox, Fox is a great passer. I, he's not as good as Ja. I think Ja is one of the most preternaturally gifted passers in the league. But the difference between them and why I prefer Fox is because Fox is a stone cold scorer. Do you realize he averaged 25 points a game last year? Like he averaged 25 points a game last year on, let me look up the efficiency, but he wasn't inefficient, right? It wasn't his offense's fault that they, they lost so many games Yeah, 25 points a game on 47% from the field. The shooting isn't there, right? Him and Ja have that in common, but all in all, given the choice between them, I think I'm taking Fox just because of how good he is at scoring. And then 27, I have Zach Levine. 26, I have Bam Adebayo at 26. He really, (laughs) he wasn't that high, right? He didn't take as big of a drop as Ben did, but he took a pretty big drop. He was in the top 20 and he fell to 26 after the the Bucks series. I probably should reevaluate that because Miami just had a weird year in general. But listen, 
he was great in 2020. He was not as great in 2021. I think that's really like he was still really good. That is the difference to me. What do you think about Fox and Adebayo pretty much? I will say the reason I definitely don't have Fox is because the playoff appearance factor. Because Jamal and Ja, they jumped because of those playoffs. Devin Booker, who's coming up at some point, Donovan Mitchell, those two guys had a great playoff appearance that said, okay, like we got to bump them up to this tier. And that's the only reason why I don't have De'Aaron here. And if they make the playoffs next year and he's averages 30 and seven or whatever, then he's up like that. That's really what it is. And it's not his fault. It's unfair to do that. But if, if the Grizzlies didn't make the playoffs, I would have had jaw lower. I definitely would have. The playoffs are just that big of a deal. They make a huge difference in who you are as a player. Um, I mean, like think about what we talked about earlier with Gobert. Like that's, that's what the playoffs can do. They can take you from being a top 20 player to a top 40 player because you aren't that good in the playoffs. I think Bam took a huge jump when they were in the playoffs last year in 2020. And I mean, there's been a bunch of guys that they, they maybe go under the radar in the regular season and they pop in the playoffs. And it's like, okay, like this is a guy I know I can rely on in the playoffs. It's a reason I love Jimmy Butler because he steps it up in the playoffs. And that is an incredibly attractive quality when you're, you know, evaluating players. And again, on the flip side, Ben Simmons, Rudy Gobert, you don't show up in the playoffs, you're moving down that list. So it, for me, playoffs make a huge difference. That's why Fox is lower. Um, and then I have Bam in the next tier. So I, we're, we both think of Bam the same way. I think, I think it's more likely that, that I'm right on him than you. Not, not to be biased. Um, just in my experience with, with Pascal and Conley and, and Hayward were the main three I think I was too low on. I'm, it's, it's easy to overrate something that just happened. And maybe that's kind of where you're going with Bam. Because there was definitely some negative sentiment with Bam this year. Probably not his fault. So that I'm going to defend you and say that's probably what it was. <laughs> so, okay. Let me look up my, my original list. Because I'll, I'll pull that up and I'll say where I originally had Bam. Because he didn't fall that far off, I'll say. Like, comparatively to where he was let's just go back to the june or let's go back to may 24th when i would have had the list done um nope never mind may 24th at 7 13 so i put him and the original draft of this list i had him at 17 so he fell like 10 spots right like less than 10 spots and to me I think the 26 to I think the 30 to 20 range for Bam is kind of appropriate. Maybe I'm like a little too low on him, but if I was going to redo it now, I'd move him up to like 22, 21. Like he does so many transcendent things for a center, but I think based on what I value out of a center, if I'm going to have you in that top 25, I want you to be like truly transcendent at something. And I don't think his defense is there. His defense is fucking great, (laughs) but it's not transcendent. And then the passing is great, but it's not trained. So like, okay, let's just look at it through this lens, right? Let's just compare him to his peers, not his peers because he's younger than them, but the defense, I think I'd rather have Simmons and Gobert 
than him on defense, right? And I know Simmons doesn't play the same position, but they kind of do the same thing. Um, passing, I'd rather have Jokic. And then he's not like the shooting is better, has gotten significantly better, but I just don't think like the mid range in particular shooting has gotten better. I just don't think I would have him, you know, as a top scorer. So compared to Carl Anthony Towns, that's why I have Towns in the next group, right? Is because he's, um, you know, Towns is a transcendent scorer and transcendent offensive player. So I think that Bam's really close to the top 25. I mean, he should be fighting for all-star games every single year and he should make all, he's probably going to make 10 all defensive teams. I just think that I'd rather have some other guys, but that's just my personal preference. Yeah. And that's what it comes down to. Um, I just, when you're the second best player on a finals team, it's just hard for me to put some guys over you. And, And that's what it really came down to for me. The guys in this 20 to 30 range, you know, Bam is, is one of one of one (laughs) or he's, he's, he's one of two, one of two guys in this range that has been on a finals team and played very well at that level. So obviously the transcendent part, I think is a fair point. And I'm not going to spoil the next pick, but that, that's why I have one guy over him that we've talked about because of that transcendent part. But I mean, he, that, that finals run was so good. And you can talk about the, the bubble being not reality. I, I, I think there's some reasoning to that, but I don't think that, I mean, he got better this season, I think. At least if you look at the statistics, I think you could say he definitely got better. And it was just the fact that Miami had just a weird, like, Tyler Hero got much worse. Like, there was a lot of weird stuff. They had to rely on Kendrick Nunn more than any team ever should. You know, like, there was some weird stuff, and I don't think that their season being that much different was, you know, placed on Bam in any way. I think you could place it more on Jimmy than Bam, to be frank, um, at certain times at least. So I'm, I'm just a guy. I love Bam. I know you do too, but it's, I feel like I'm going to kind of maybe to a point recklessly defend him because I just think that his defense and his passing is so amazing. And he is getting better with his shooting, but even without the shooting, I still think he's a reliable offensive option. And there's not a lot of non-shooting centers that can say that. That's fair. Um, We'll save more BAM talk for the next episode because listen, I love BAM, you know, I thought I was pretty high on him putting him at 26, but apparently Dylan Hughes feels the disrespect, but you know how one way Dylan Hughes won't feel your disrespect is if you buy no pressure, Finding happiness in a fear-driven world. Dylan, listen, I'm just going to do this for a promotion this week because I don't have the energy to promote it the normal way. But just go buy the book and just, you know, be kind to me and Dylan. Is that too much to ask? Listen, I haven't been kind to you, the listener. But maybe if you're kind to us, maybe I'll repay it to you. How do you... Listen, Dylan, I know that one was weak compared to the other ones, but I, I just, I don't have the energy to be an emotional terrorist this week. You know, here I, I have one. And this this is out of personal experience that I can relate to this. Okay. We're gonna go to your neighborhood. We're gonna ding dong ditch 
all of your neighbors. And we're going to, we're going to, well, you're going to come up to those neighbors later at some point when they're outside, but Hey, you guys been getting ding dong ditch lately. I'm pretty sure it's that guy's over there. The guy that lives in that house. I'm pretty sure it's him. I, I saw him looking a little shady. So I mean, when I was a kid, our bus stop used to be in front of these people's house and we would just ding dong ditch them and run. And they were like such nice people. And years later, I'm like, we were such assholes for that. Like they got up every day thinking that someone is at their door really needing to, you know, do some business or something. And it was, it was empty. There was nothing there. So we're going to tell all of those neighbors that you ding dong ditch them and they will hate you and they may slash your tires. So is that a risk you really want to take? You, you can't spend $10 on the physical copy or six on the ebook. You're going to risk the, the potential of getting your tires slashed. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, listen, I think you might've just stopped me and I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm jealous. And um, thank you, Dylan. Um, Divine Rhyme, are you guys recording Divine Rhyme this week by chance? Um, we are starting on Monday. We have to um, soak a little bit in in the upcoming artists. So we're we're taking a little bit of time with this one. So shout out to Kendrick Lamar. That'll be out next week. Um, I'll be on with Zach Griffith and Bryce Shaddy for Circle City Cinema um, later. Actually, as soon as I hop off of this call, um, you'll have probably heard the Circle City Cinema before this, just because, you know, I'm trying to space out the pods. I don't like putting out two in one day, but sometimes it's what you got to do. Um, and then Triple Ash and Pass, I think they'll be back sometime soon as well. So make sure you check them out. And then uh, Lynn Sanity, Bryce filled in capably for Zach, the, or for Zach, for Caleb this week. Caleb started his new job. Shout out to Caleb, sports editor, who... Great guy. Love Caleb Lynn. Um, shout out to him. Dylan Hughes. I think that's everything. This was a long one, but it was necessarily long. So once again, I want to thank you for joining me. Thank you, sir. Thank you.